Hi there and welcome to the Guernsey Press Business Podcast. My name's Will Green, I'm the business editor at the Guernsey Press. The guest here is Kevin Bosher, the Chief Investment Officer of Ravenscroft Group. We're going to be talking about some of the big economic subjects in recent weeks and looking a little bit ahead as to what that economic impact could be. So Kevin, we've seen the headlines, we've seen the news around staff shortages both locally and nationally. How big an issue is this, do you think? And what could be some of those economic impacts? Could it knock off some of that shine, that recovery from COVID, potentially, even percentage points? Hi, Will. And yes, it's definitely a, a big factor and something that we have to think about very carefully. Lots of reasons behind the supply shortage, and of course it varies from country to country, sector to sector from an economic perspective. Some of it, particularly from a UK perspective and even our own Ireland's perspective, some of it is Brexit related and the fact that it's obviously much more difficult now to get foreign workers over from overseas, um, either because it's more difficult, a lot more paperwork or because those foreign workers themselves um, find it easier to move elsewhere or go back home. Um, so some of it's Brexit related, some of it is COVID related and the fact that um, obviously, you know, people are rethinking their life plans and what they want to do uh, and everything else. And you've got this huge disruption across multiple industries caused by the, sh- the, the locking down and the shutting down of economies and then the, 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 the rapid reopenings again, which is causing lots of, lots of distortions and, and shortages. Um, um, and then some of it around the COVID still relates to the area, for example, that if you look at the UK and US, for example, um, schools are only just about returning to some form of normality. So many parents have been stuck at home, unable to get back to work. Um, vaccination rates have varied from country to country, state to state. That's been a factor in staff returning to work in various areas. You've still got the fear factor. Some people, um, for whatever reason, aren't willing to yet or go back to work and then a big factor has been government subsidies and and paying staff throughout the covid lockdowns and you know so many staff particularly in the services industry restaurants hotels etc you know have been effectively paid more to stay at home rather than go back to work so once once the government stopped paying these furlough schemes and these subsidies schools get back to normal more and more of the populations are vaccinated and can see that life is returning to normal uh, and they and they you know then I think you're going to see more people return to work which will help alleviate some of these distortions and these staff shortages you mentioned distortions there how weird and unusual have these distortions been is it like nothing ever seen before in the world it it is to be honest a bit like nothing ever seen before certainly not for a very long time but we have to remember the whole last two and a half years has been something the world's never seen before. You know, we had the, the steepest and swiftest recession on record uh, from um, the end of 2019, you know, through to May, June last year. That was the first time the world economy's ever voluntarily shot itself down. Um, and second, then we've had that followed by the swiftest and, and steepest and strongest economic recovery pretty much for 100 years. So nothing's normal about the last two two and a half years so that follows through to a lot of the distortions we're seeing whether it be in supply of labor people getting back to work necessitating shortages and, and wage increases in certain areas particularly service related areas um, or, or whether it's 
price increases of, of manufacturing chips and causing shortages in car production and some of the electronic goods that we all want to buy. Um, higher commodity prices, material costs, higher building and renovation costs, all, all of those supply-demand distortions, um, a lot of that is based around COVID and it's because it's it's such an unusual you know, one-off experience. Is it a case of people being in the wrong place at the wrong time because of COVID and goods being in the wrong place at the wrong time rather than at the right place? That's definitely some of it, but also that's definitely some of it. So, for example... You know, you've had factories either closed down because of the COVID lockdowns, unable to produce at the same rate. You've had ships stuck in ports, unable to sail. Um, and, and the whole infrastructure around freightage and shipping has not been able to function as efficiently as it would normally do. Some of these problems, incidentally, were already happening before COVID. So, for example, shortage of semi, semi-manufacturing chips. Um, was something that was already happening. And, and part of that was just due to the fact, sheer demand, and the fact that so many chips are now produced by a very small group of companies. So you've got big monopoly positions um, out of, for example, you know, Taiwanese company and, and Korean company and Japanese companies. So th- th- that, the fact that there was huge demand for these chips at a time where supply was not keeping up with demand, and then you have this whole concept around the area around deglobalization. China versus US, etc. Plus, there's been a big underinvestment in shipping and freightage for many years, which is now manifesting itself in less ships, at slower ships, and so on. So, you know, so, so a, a lot of this stuff, uh, some of this stuff was happening pre-COVID, but COVID has definitely accentuated. Some of it is down to the wrong people in the wrong place, but also some of it is, you know, down to the fact that consumption patterns, for example, have have changed massively in the last two years. You know, when everyone had to stay at home, they suddenly were buying lots of stuff through Amazon, lots of goods, even if they didn't need them, and they weren't travelling and they weren't eating out and so on. They weren't enjoying themselves in theatre and so on. As economies reopen, um, so that's caused shortages, for example, in, in some of those workers were pulled into other areas or were laid off and paid a furlough scheme. As economies reopen and restaurants reopen and people start travelling again some of those people are still being paid to stay at home and they're not prepared to travel. Some of them are, are having a hard look at the terms of their um, employment and not happy with it. Just on that terms of an employment issue, in Guernsey, obviously, there's concerns around restaurants having to alter their hours or perhaps close to, to non-residents, even if they're a hotel group. Do you think that there is going to be wage inflation to get people to work in hospitality sector and does that feed through literally to people's dinner plates in terms of higher prices that they may pay to eat out yeah i think that's likely to happen Uh, and i think it it will it will differ again from country to country so for example if we look at our own example you know a lot of restaurants and hotels in guernsey and jersey are running with seriously reduced staff for all the things we've discussed mix of covid and brexit and so on Um, and as we all know, you know, locals tend not to want to work in local hospitality industry. So what happens in that instance is, you know, either the, either the, the restaurants or businesses can't fulfil demand, um, you know, in which case the choice isn't there for people, um, or um, they put their prices up maybe, so people do have to pay higher, higher costs for meals and so on. And we're definitely seeing some of that across many countries including including our own islands and it is it is a real problem you know 
I think the worker situation in Guernsey and Jersey, you've got an additional point here, which is that not only a Brexit is Brexit playing a role and COVID playing a role, but you've also got the fact that this is of you know our own rules and regulations perhaps make it tougher to bring in some of these foreign workers when we need them, particularly at short notice. And also we have to remember that, that Guernsey and Jersey are very expensive places to live. There's a shortage of housing. Cost of living is generally higher here anyway. Um, so, you know, it's, it's not easy to, to bring in these people, even if we, even if we want to or, or could do. So I think it's going to be an ongoing problem for restaurants, which is going to manifest itself eventually in some of them having to close, unless we can find a way, a longer-term solution, or um, some of them definitely in, in putting up prices on a more permanent basis, which will lead into consumers' purchasing power. And is that to then attract workers because you're paying them more money? Yeah, it, it is to try and attract the workers... Um, effectively that that you need longer term is you know we've probably got to look at the our own rules and laws and try and make it a bit easier to get um, overseas workers Um, you know particularly with our working force shrinking and our population demographic that we talked about previously we we do need more people into the island who are going to work and contribute to our value added in our our economy so we need to find ways to to make our rules uh, and regulations easier to do that you know, longer term, uh, we may have to face up to the fact that, you know, workers in, in previously lower paid sectors should be paid more, basically, to, to help compete um, and, and so on. That that may be achieved for the business from a business's perspective. Businesses might be able to um, accommodate that through higher productivity somehow or they'll have to maybe raise prices or they'll have to take a hit on the on the margins and, and so on. So that's definitely, I think, something... Is, is there a way to... whereby, you know, obviously we are fortunate that unemployment is relatively low in Guernsey. It's also been higher because of the pandemic. Is there a way by, a way by uh, people can be encouraged to work into sectors which have shortages? Or actually, is there a little bit of um, reality check those people might be working? They may be parents, for example, who can't work in a bar at night because they're looking after children. But is there a way whereby... The organisations get together and encourage a certain proportion or support a certain proportion of the people who may be unemployed at the moment for various reasons in, into the hospitality sector. Yeah, well, I think it makes us rethink short term, certainly. So we should be looking at students, for example. Um, we should be looking at maybe all the people who can do some part time work. Um, any of the local labour force that we can try and encourage back into working in the sectors that are short, such as hospitality, would be a welcome thing. Longer term, we need to think carefully about more you know, vocational type of training. Um, let's try and make hospitality a more attractive uh, industry, a better reputation industry for young people to go into from school or from further education. If the industry is having to pay higher wages to get the staff, that's going to help make it more attractive for some, you know, for, for younger workers to go into it. So I think longer term, the things we have to do around training, vocation, um, wages and all those things to attract more local people in, into those industries. And another uh, issue that's arisen recently and has become more accentuated perhaps is around supply chain issues uh, in, in raw materials even. I've been talking to various groups and organisations within various sectors and they've talked about increases within their own industries which they've absorbed so far we talked as well about the distortion. How long do you think these supply chain issues are going to last and what does that mean for people at the end of the chain paying the price? So I think, um, 
I think they're going to last some time longer because what we're seeing, although economic activity is recovering globally, it's it's the, the recovery um, is staggered and varies from country to country, largely depending on vaccination rates uh, and and how quickly economies are able to reopen and normalise. So, for example, in that respect, the UK and Europe are even ahead of many parts of Asia, where vaccination rates are much lower in Asia. Look at Australia and New Zealand, for example. Um, and they're not going to be able to reopen their economies as as as, as quickly, um, basically. So um, I think this, I think you know, those economies are going to lag the UK, the US, maybe by some six, twelve, eighteen months. So that's going to mean that supply demand disruption is going to continue to, for at least that that time frame. If we look at the UK and US economies, we are definitely the data is already confirming that there is a shift going on. So people are already shifting consumption patterns from goods towards services as they eat out more as they go back to theatres as they travel and travelers picking up much quicker than props many people had, had would, would have expected basically so there is definitely evidence that that's already that shift in patterns already happening so that's going to you know have an impact i think as, a, as more workers come into the workforce for the reasons we talked about before particularly once all these furlough schemes drop off in september from September onwards, this is um, a national, national, and yeah, national and US and UK in particular. I think we'll see more people back into the workforce, which will help alleviate alleviate some of these staff shortages and and so on. Um, so I think no one can be certain, and probably some of the some of these things may be more permanent. So um, you know, people, businesses, business travel will almost certainly be less for some a long time going forward than it was pre-pandemic because we've all learned to use zoom and other things um and you know so some of those some of these patterns will change and be permanent but but definitely it's going to last for some time and yes it's having an impact on the prices that we have to pay inflation as you can see is going up um in the US and UK Europe it's pretty much going up everywhere wasn't there kind of did it fall or reduce down a little no, was that it, temporary? I, I think inflation... So inflation's had a big spike up. Some of that is just the effects of big drops in inflation falling off the, uh, a year ago, falling out of the equation, i.e. energy and stuff. Some of it is COVID, this supply-demand disruption-related increased cost of semiconductor chips that's driving second-hand car prices and new car prices, um, commodity, high commodity prices on building and so on. So there's some of that. But inflation's definitely picking up. Um, central banks, my own personal view, definitely think it's transitory in that once some of this supply-demand disruption works through and we all get back to some normality around how we spend our money and live our lives, then a, a lot of this will work its way through the system to, to get back to normal. And that is probably true. I'm in the camp that thinks that's the camp, but it could take some time yet. However, um, the fact of the matter is that, you know, consumers... Um, Part of the problem we have here is that if, if the world economy is, if growth is is peaking, which I think it is, and it's reverting to its long-term pre-pandemic norm, which is naturally lower than it has been for the previous 10 years because of demographics and productivity trends. So in other words, if the, the natural rate of growth of the UK economy is around 1.5%, um, then that's where it's headed back then the, the difficulty we, f we face for workers is that basically real incomes are declining because, um, you know, growth in wages is, is set roughly around GDP growth or a little bit less. 
and inflation could well prove to be quite sticky for much longer than that. Um, you know, and, and it's not just measured inflation. A lot of it, people feel inflation with things that aren't measured, basically, um, and aren't necessarily reflected. And it means that real incomes are, are falling. And is that, is that both nationally and within the islands as well? Uh, definitely nationally, and I think within the islands as well. You know, we, we've got probably higher, G, higher per capita GDPs and higher real incomes than many other than nationally. But nonetheless, it is going to be impacted over here as well. Two, two issues perhaps arising, arising from the points you made there. Do you think this inflationary pressure this distortion around supply and chain, supply chains and distortion around um, uh, recruitment shortages, staff shortages. Could that knock off some growth? Or, or actually, is it kind of not that big a deal in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things? And also, you mentioned there about, are we almost at the peak of that steep recovery? Have we almost passed that peak? I think we have passed the peak in the UK, in the US, in here, probably back locally in the islands, I think we passed that peak. So, um, but you know, because interest rates are very low and going to stay low, because central banks are still printing lots of money, because governments in most places, nationally certainly, and US, yes, definitely, are still going to be spending fiscally more money than they have been pre-pandemic for some time. I think growth can stay above that longer-term trend for a while yet, but nonetheless, it's it's peaked peaking globally. Whereas inflation is probably close to peaking globally, but it's it's going to stay elevated for some time yet. So it could feel painful and a little bit stagflationary for a while. So it wouldn't surprise me if you see stagflation turn crop up in media reports quite a bit in the next six to 12 months. Do you think there's a risk of house prices actually falling? I, I don't. I think that's less likely. I think they'll flatten out because I think interest rates stay roughly where they are towards zero for a very long time to come. So the, so the affordability of mortgages remains um, strong and the supply of mortgages remains powerful and strong as well. So, so I think there'd be lots of cheap financing. That stays the case. People have definitely, post-pandemic, are looking at their lifestyles and they, how they live. And, and if they're, a lot of them are moving house because they want a different way of living and that doesn't, that doesn't change basically. And then there's a supply issue where we're li- very limited in supply of, of, of houses. Um, so I think none of those things change for the foreseeable future. Equally, I think, I think we'll see prices plateau, basically, and, and, and level off. Um, but I don't yet seem collapsing. We, I think it would, we'd need a, an absolute economic collapse of, of some sorts or a real drain you know, of people away from Guernsey for, for us to see a real, or Jersey for that matter, for us to see a real, a real housing problem. In fact, if you look at the housing thing, it's a global phenomenon. The increase that we've seen in house prices is pretty much global. Um, and a lot of that is caused by cheap financing and, and a review of lifestyles and how people spend their money post-pandemic. Would you say, given these pressures, that it's actually quite a good idea for people to take financial advice, maybe? <laughs> Definitely, yeah. Because one of the things I think people are going to have to think very carefully about is, you know, particularly with our long-term demographic and work trends and economic growth trends and everything else is, you know, provisioning more for pension pensions definitely also the housing and also if if generally if one of the impacts of people uh, unless we as consumers if if prices are going up for some things and we're not prepared to draw down on our savings we want to save more as we and generally as people get older you want to save more 
um, for retirement and other things and your spending patterns change, then if you want to save more, but prices are going up certain things, that means you have to make decisions between how you spend your money and allocate your, your money, unless you go out and borrow more money, which, you know, people some people will do, but some people are less inclined to do given the already high debt levels. And certainly global, this is a, globally, this is a, a big, big thing. Globally, if you look at the US, look at UK, as a demographic gets older, yes, there's a lot of money in the system. Central banks are printing lots of money. But actually, people aren't going on big spending sprees. They're saving more. Investment companies aren't going on big investment um, uh, programs. They're actually saving more. So one of the reasons why economic growth rates everywhere are reverting to, to lower and lower rates from a secular perspective is because you have this excess of savings over investment. And part of the problem there is the fact that debt levels are very high and have got even you know, a lot higher uh, in the last two years, basically. Demographics is a function there as well, but debt levels, the ageing demographic, excess saving over investment, technological disruption, all these things tend to put downward pressure on, on growth and inflation from a secular secular perspective and these are things that very much affect us here in the islands with similar patterns moving on to the issue of taxation at some point surely someone has to pay for all of this um i don't know whether that's a slight naive view whether inflation might fritter away some of the uh, government borrowing within the uk there's discussions about what tax rises there might be what tax rises there might not be similarly in guernsey uh, there's talk of gst for example when you consider the economic round of taxes, do they have an effect on economies? Definitely. So if we look at what's happening globally, and, and there's a fundamental, there is a fundamental shift going on here globally. You see it in the UK and you see it in the US and, and in Europe as well. And that is that since the early 80s, monetary policy, central banks have dominated policy. Governments generally have tried to keep their fiscal deficits around 3% or lower, and they've spent more in tough times, tough economic times, to, to make up for that shortfall in the private sector. Um, but central banks have been targeted inflation around 2%, full employment, and tried and used monetary policy has been the main tool. What we've seen in the last 18 months is governments go on this huge fiscal spending spree, initially to prop up the economies, to step in for that big drop in private sector demand and spending. Um, but now that spending is, is turning more towards long-term investment to address some of these challenges that governments face, which is COVID and pandemics, and it's not that's not just recovering from this pandemic, it's about the underinvestment in healthcare and tackling that aging demographic and the fact we're all living longer. So it's increased healthcare spending. It's um, climate change and all the, the, the spending around, around that, as well as income inequality, which is really coming to the fore politically and causing big political shifts. So I think you're gonna see governments pretty much everywhere um, not worry about 3% deficits, spend a lot more, invest a lot more to try and address some of these issues, boost productivity, we talked about previously, and boost long-term growth. And most governments are going to be very willing to borrow to do that because they can borrow at generational low costs and, and interest rates. Um, and I know there's a, a you know big debate about should governments take on more debt and borrow um, you know, how efficient will they be in their spending? Um, will that, are they less efficient with their spending and investment than the private sector would be? There's all that debate, economic debate. But the reality is, just look at what everyone's doing and that, that's the way it's going. Whether it's the UK, Germany, US, all governments are borrowing more, 
in order to invest in their economies, um, in order to address these long-term issues, boost long-term growth and productivity. So given that's what everyone else is doing, for me, there's a massive risk if Guernsey is going the opposite way to that. Okay, if Guernsey, which has got, we got very low debt to GDP ratios, we can't have, we've got no control over our monetary policy, Central Bank, Bank of England set that, luckily it's in our favour, got no control over the exchange rate, but again, that tends to be in our favour because sterling's cheap. The only tool we can use is fiscal policy. So to me, what Guernsey needs to focus much more on is how we can grow our economy at a faster rate and how we can cut waste, spend, spending waste basically. Um, our government is, you know, I'm sure we can cut spending out of the government. I'm sure we can definitely make it more efficient. We can definitely sweat our assets better, make better use of our assets. But effectively, I, th I think it's really dangerous for Guernsey to go down the route of even talking about raising taxes when pretty much every other government is focused on borrowing more to invest, to boost long-term growth and, and productivity. Now, some of them, like the UK, are talking about tax rises eventually, but they, that may or may not happen, and it's only, it's only a plan. But, but the UK has got monetary policy they can put on alongside, alongside that, and their fiscal plans are still quite expansionary, basically, compared to ours, for example. Um, and they've also got the exchange rate, and they've also got other mechanisms now they're out of Brexit they can use to try and improve growth and, and so on. Is it important that... Guernsey and other, indeed, island jurisdictions which don't necessarily have the same levers of control, perhaps, that bigger jurisdictions have and sovereign nations. Is it important that they consider whether borrowing at these generational lows may be a better idea than perhaps raising taxes, certainly in the short term? I definitely think we, I definitely should be doing, we should be looking at that, examining that very closely. I think we should be borrowing more to invest in areas and projects which are going to enhance productivity, boost long-term growth, encourage people to come and work in the island and boost our economy and address some of the challenges and issues we've got. The key is, is making sure that we spend it and invest it correctly and appropriately, which is part of the, the, part of the challenge. Being able to borrow money is the easy bit, really. Making sure you invest it and spend it wisely is a difficult bit, and we need to make sure we, we, we do that. But generally speaking, higher taxes, in my personal view, they're a disincentive to save, they're a disincentive for companies to invest and hire people, and that's exactly the opposite of what we should be doing. We should be looking to grow this economy at a faster rate somehow, um, you know, short-term and long-term in nominal and real terms in order to, you know, improve our long our, our living standards so i think we've got to be very careful about the, the tax angle generally speaking as well governments you governments really should only consider raising taxes when the economy is in full swing and enjoying a real strong period of growth um okay this year is going to be strong but that's only on the back of a very weak year and it's still going to take us three or four years to get back to our pre-pandemic gdp levels and in the interim our long-term growth is headed lower because of the of the demographic trends and all the other things that we talked about so I think, um, calling t I think raising taxes is, is the wrong thing. The other thing to think about this is raising taxes just means that the government, whatever money's out there, more of it goes to the government and out of the private sector, whether it's companies through corporate taxes or whether it's individuals through income taxes or, or GST. So, you know, are the government going to use that money in a better way? 
Um, are they going to invest it for long-term growth or are they just going to spend it on one-off things that are not going to give any benefit to long-term growth whatever at a time where there might be already excess and wastage of spending in, in, in the system? So you know, raising taxes might plug a fiscal gap, but it just means there's less money to spend or invest in the private sector. So it doesn't, it, 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 if anything, the disincentive bit to save, spend and invest means that it, it, it weakens your long-term growth prospects. It might prop up a deficit, but most governments pretty much everywhere in the world are not focused on deficits anymore. They're focused on investing and improving long-term growth and, and living standards for people, for population. Thank you very much. Again, a fascinating and, and very insightful uh, uh, wonder and analysis through those really big issues that we are all facing, not just in Guernsey, but globally. Thank you very much again, Kevin. Thanks. Thanks, Paul.